Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. We continue our conversation on the topic of healing from bullying today. This episode applies not only to those who suffered in school, but also should prove helpful to any who have suffered abuse later in life as well. John Nessel taps into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount to gain practical advice on what to do to find wholeness. In particular, he went into much greater detail about forgiveness and praying for one's abuser. Once again, Nessel's example and personal testimony help illustrate how these principles work in real life. Here now is episode 512, Healing from Bullying, Part 2 with John Nessel. Welcome, John Nessel, to Restitutio. So glad to talk with you today. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. So we've been talking about bullying and hearing some thoughts on what to do, especially down the line, if you've been bullied. Where should we pick up? Well, in our previous conversation, I covered the first few things that I had learned, and those are the things that would be permissible in a secular school situation. But what I want to cover now is the spiritual side of it. I think that this information should be taught in every school so that children know what to do. They know how to handle defeat. They know how to handle grief and anger in the proper way because we are taught by media and movies and TV, the wrong way to handle it. We, we're taught that revenge is glorified. And so people have a tendency to think that's the way to get even. And what that does is it just continues the devil's work. Uh, it does his work for him. What we covered before, the secular side of things, is only half of the cure. Uh, the other half is dealing with forgiveness and vengeance and prayer and how to achieve genuine healing, because that is what God can do. The secular side will get you part way there, but God will get you all the rest of the way there. Because the, the biggest bully that exists is the devil. He's the biggest bully. And so if you want to fight him and win, you're going to need a spiritual arsenal. The greatest weapon to fight the devil is the Word of God. That is the greatest weapon to fight him. And in the Word, it has the keys to deal with these things, with defeat, with grief, with embarrassment, the things that happen when you are bullied and abused. See, and actually... The greatest teaching on that is in the Sermon on the Mount, believe it or not. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was dealing with believers who had been bullied. They were bullied by the Pharisees, and they were bullied by the Romans. So they had suffered religious abuse as well as social and physical abuse. The things that Jesus said 
were cures for that society in that state. See, when you get abused like that, you, you tend to retreat into yourself. And so he was telling them, let your light shine. Every one of us has a light in us. Every Christian has gifts that are special, that are unique to them. No one else has quite the same gifts as each one of us does. And if we don't do our gift, we'll certainly be missed. And so people need to find out what their calling is and do it because there's no greater thing in the whole world. And the way you find that out is just get busy. You know, people think God's going to tell me if I'm a prophet or God's going to tell me if I'm a teacher or whatever. Sometimes that happens. But in most cases, it happens when you get busy and you find out what you do best. You go where the Lord guides you. And it's sort of like learning how to hit a baseball. When you hit the baseball just right, it sounds different. It feels different, right? And so those who want to learn how to hit the baseball right, they'll practice and they'll try to reproduce that. Well, the same thing happens when we get involved and help people. Just gravitate to need, get involved with your church, ask the minister, what can I do to help? Just get involved. And as you do that, God will guide you into what your calling is. That will get you out of many situations. <laughs> because if God's working in you for that, He'll work in you for a lot of other things, too, and that'll produce your deliverance. That's why Jesus said, let your light shine. That was a solution for people who had been abused. And you're the salt of the earth. You're supposed to season. You're supposed to preserve things. You're supposed to speak up when there's a problem. You're supposed to solve things like salt does. It purifies. And so he said, you're the salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its savor, well, what's going to happen then? So he, he was inviting them. He wasn't pushing. He was pulling. He was inviting them out of their situations. When Jesus was dealing with people, he said to them, "If except that your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And everybody was looking at him with their mouths open because they were saying, how can we do better than the Pharisees? I mean, they were so picky and they were so tight. How could we do better? And so then he told them how. And the next section in the Sermon on the Mount shows how to overcome abuse. Believe it or not. <laughs> and so the first thing he did in Matthew 5, 21 through 26, he said, you've heard it's been said, but I say to you six times in that section. And in, so it is his list. And in the first one, he gave a clue where he repeated the word brother about four times. That's the clue. And so what was happening is he said, you know, you heard it's been said, but I say to you, you've heard it's been said, you shall not kill. And, you know, whoever's killed 
whoever does kill is in danger of being judged. But I say to you, he said, whoever's angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment. And then they were calling their brothers Raka, and also they were calling them fools. Now, what this was actually talking about is the Pharisees were verbally abusing the believers. They were calling them fools. They were calling them Raka. Raka is a word that comes from, it, it sounds like you're clearing your throat in Aramaic. It's Raka, like that. And it's, it's dealing, with it and it's related to the word spit. So Raka is basically saying, you ain't worth spit. You can't walk for God. You're no good. I'm a Pharisee and I know how to do it, but you don't. And so they were verbally abusing them. And then they were calling them fools. Now, in our culture, calling somebody a fool, we, we do that all the time and we don't think much of it. But in their culture, when you called someone a fool, that was about the worst thing you could say because they were they were God-centered and they did what they did because they believed God told them. So if you called them a fool, you were calling their God that they believed a fool too. That's why it was so bad. And then what was happening is that these Pharisees were bringing their gift to the altar like nothing had happened. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You need to leave your gift at the altar and reconcile with your brother. So later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deals with how the recipients of the abuse should behave. That section I just told you about, that's dealing with the abusers, all right? You need to reconcile with, you need, with your brother. You need to stop abusing because it's a serious issue. But then later on, he goes through how to deal with being abused. And that's where it gets into uh, turning the other cheek and praying for them that despitefully use you and all of that. When I first became a Christian, I could not fathom that because I was so angry at the world. I was so angry at being abused and, and uh, it affected me so deeply I was so full of hatred and revenge that when I became a Christian, it was tough. <laughs> and then later on, when I became, uh, when I was offered to become ordained, I told them I'm not ready yet because I didn't understand this. And I needed to understand this if I was going to be a minister because I would have to advise people how to do it. And I didn't know how to do it. So that's why I got into this section and it had to go pretty deep understand it so there's a section there where it says you've heard it's been said but i say to you an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but i say that you resist not evil but whosoever shall smite you on the right cheek you turn to him the other one now <laughs> people don't understand what that means that does not mean getting beat up okay in our culture we give people certain hand signals to provoke them to make a statement in their culture they would touch their cheek if someone does something to provoke you don't respond in kind 
That is what turn the other cheek means. And then another technique that Jesus did is many times he gave multiple examples. All right. Here he gives multiple examples, and they're all stating the same principle. So he said, if somebody asks you to walk a mile, you walk two, right? If somebody sues you and takes your coat, let him have your cloak also, all right? And give to him to ask the uh, that wants to borrow from you and turn not away. Those things are all talking about the same thing. You see what the Romans would do. They could walk up to somebody and say, you carry this. That's what happened to Simon of Cyrene and the cross that Jesus bore. Okay. They said, you carry this. So they had a rule that you could only or would only have to carry it a mile. And believe it or not, they had mile markers on their roads. Okay. So you could tell it was, you know, how long the mile was. If someone came up to you, an abuser came up to you, a Roman soldier, and said, you carry this, who's in charge of that situation? The Roman soldier is, right? But if you said, sir, I will carry it too. Now who's in charge of that situation? You are. And that's the lesson that Jesus is teaching here, that the first step in uh, having evil being overcome by good is to take the initiative where you are in control, all right? And see, another thing too, believers have wisdom that's available from God. And when you are in situations like this, God will give you wisdom. He'll tell you what to say and do. James says that, you know, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives all men liberally and he abrades not. He doesn't pick on you and say, ah, you're dumb, I'm not going to tell you. No, he gives to all men liberally. And what's really interesting is in that list of the sonship rights and all that that are in 1 Corinthians 1.30, wisdom is in that list. So we have as much right to wisdom as we do righteousness. Jesus died so we could have that righteousness. Well, he also died to give us a connection to God. So if you're ever in a situation like this, God will tell you what to do. And you can take the initiative away from the abuser by doing what Jesus said. Isn't that interesting? See, the next thing he was talking about is when, when you are abused and you want to retaliate well he said we have to love our enemies and pray for them that despitefully use us now that was tough for me to try to figure out and part of this is forgiveness um, i explained last time we talked that forgiveness is a bridge that's off of that island full of despair. You have to cross the bridge to get to the mainland. And the one of the steps that is involved in your healing, if you ever are abused like this, when evil occurs, it's like throwing a rock in a pool and the waves go out. If you 
respond in kind, then you're creating more waves. And what happens when you throw more rocks in that pool? The waves propagate and they build on top of each other. They get worse. And there's something else that's called like, it's called the cue ball effect. The devil hits the cue ball and it runs into you. What happens on the pool table? That ball then in turn hits other balls and gets, gets them going. And that's how evil propagates. But the cue ball effect stops with a believer with a renewed mind. The cue ball stops when you decide, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to respond in kind and do evil for evil. And it takes guts to do that. It takes faith to do that. And also you have to understand how this works because if you obey what the word says, now obey is a strong word, <laughs> but if you obey what the word says, then you will get the benefits that the word has. And there are definite benefits with this process. And so the first step is to forgive. People think that you need to forgive the offender to their face. In most cases, that's what people think forgiveness is all about. But that could be a very toxic situation. Especially if they still want to abuse you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so also it, they may not be, it may not be available. They may be far away. They may be dead. You know, they may be not available. But the model for this is actually Jesus on the cross. Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. He was praying to God on the cross. He wasn't confessing to them. He was not talking to them and saying, I forgive you. He was settling it between him and God. And that's the first step. One of the obstructions to doing that is we may feel that that person doesn't deserve forgiveness, okay, because of what they did. This is all built upon that model, that expectation that when we forgive, we have to forgive them to their face. No, the first step is doing it between you and God. Because of that erroneous model, the idea I think a lot of people have is they have to apologize first or do some kind of contrition before they're worthy of us forgiving them. But forgiveness helps you far more than it helps that person. See, you have to deal with God first and be willing to forgive them between you and God. Because forgiveness helps you far more than it helps that person. Hopefully, the offender will realize what they did and apologize. That would be the ideal. But you know what? Even in our law system, if you forgive someone, do they still go to jail for what they did? Yes. So, see, forgiveness does not affect them as much as it affects you. The trick is, is that we feel that we have to hold this until they're worthy of being forgiven. See? And what are you doing? 
you're holding that evil in your mind willingly. It's like keeping acid in you and not getting rid of it. You understand? Isn't that crazy? It's like having a sore and constantly poking it so it never gets healed. Because you have to remember it. You, know, I, you, you, you foment all these bad thoughts. You get angry about it. Somebody says something that reminds you of it and you blow up. All of that kind of stuff. The nature of evil is it grows. Evil will not just stay by itself. Evil is not benign. It's like cancer. And so you have to treat it. See, if you had a wound, you need to treat it. Because what will happen usually if you don't treat that wound, it'll get worse. Well, the same is true with your mind. There are things in your mind that if you don't treat them, they will get worse. Now, what if somebody is afraid that forgiving somebody will enable them to continue abusing them? There's wisdom involved in this, too. You want to get away from the situation so they won't abuse you. Okay? That's what we were talking about the last time, where you report it. Now, see, when I grew up in the 50s and 60s, they did not, they were not aware of bullying like they are today. Thank God there are some anti-bullying initiatives, and it's, it's much more in uh, the consciousness of, of school administrators. But when I grew up, they didn't do much about it at all. And so in my case, that's why it was so severe and it built up so badly. But hopefully, if you report it, then you can get out of that situation, see? Now, the other thing, though, is, again, settle it between you and God. You don't have to forgive that person to their face, okay? If it's going to be a dangerous situation, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. I think that was part of what he meant. What I'm trying to get at is, if you deal with it in your own mind between you and God, then it causes you to have peace. That's part of, see, I have seen people who have not forgiven and they've held it in their mind and evil spreads. It gets worse and it has affected them for their whole lives. So we're talking about the scenario where someone is no longer getting bullied and dealing with it after more right. than we are somebody who's facing ongoing. Right. If, you, if you're facing ongoing, you need to report it so it stops. But afterwards, you got to deal with it. Right. Otherwise, like you're saying, evil reproduces, it grows, it festers. Right. Exactly. So you need to come to peace with it. Like what we talked about the last time, we talked about sublimation you know redirecting that energy that that chemical response and you redirect that into something good okay and when you start to get results for that that's a confidence builder that helps build your self-worth 
one of the things that I did, and I didn't know that I was doing it, you know, but I excelled at music with trumpet and with vocal music. That built my self-esteem. It counteracted the terrible things that people said about me. See, and I just, I would not believe them. I would not. And part of that excellence that I, I had with music gave me confidence instead. So if you redirect and sublimate and, and turn that into excellence, then you'll have achievements that will help build your confidence. That'll help you in that situation. Forgiving between you and God is a very important step. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, it said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That was before Jesus died for our sins. Of course, now afterwards, we confess to God. But still, there is a relationship between that. You see, it is that important. I mean, physiology and, and psychology didn't change when Jesus died on the cross. Human nature didn't change. How people's minds work didn't change. So there is something to that, forgiving someone else. You understand? It's, it's that important. So I, I wonder if you've come across this where somebody thinks that forgiving a bully is letting them get away with it, that there's a right. injustice here. Okay. God will hold them accountable. God listens to the downtrodden. He is a merciful God. He champions the cause of those who are abused that cry unto him. So if you cry unto him, God will take care of you, you see. And bullies are dysfunctional to begin with. And they are suffering too. They're just suffering in a different way. And if they don't get treated, they're going to have a tough time in life too. They're going to lose out on opportunities. They're going to have problems with their family. They're going to have problems with their jobs uh, because they just don't adjust properly. And so it's not letting them off the hook. It's between you and God. It defuses you. It gets rid of the acid in you. The opposite of forgiving is having revenge, all right? And that's another thing that I need to deal with because, oh, also, when it comes to forgiveness, you can't force somebody to forgive. That's abusive in itself. And it's really abusive if the abuser wants you to forgive them simply because you're a Christian. <laughs> that's terrible. But when you are vengeant, that's a further step of, of holding that evil in your mind. Because not only then are you experiencing the hurt from it and rehearsing it in your mind, but also you're planning evil against the person that abused you. And so you, if you carry it out, you become the, the abuser you despise. <laughs> it's not logical to do that, to retaliate that way. 
You let God retaliate. Here's how that works. The nature of evil is that it's parasitic. There's that verse in Isaiah that said that God made light and he created darkness and he made good and he created evil. I think it's Isaiah 45, uh, verse 6 and 7 or something like that. When God made light, darkness came into being as a consequence because it's the opposite of light. It wasn't intended, but it came in. And so darkness is parasitic to light. When God made good, evil came in because it's the opposite. So evil is parasitic to good. And so what happens to the evil one is if they're not stopped, if they don't stop, that evil spreads within them. They get worse and worse and worse until what happens is the evil consumes itself. Have you ever seen poetic justice when someone falls in the trap that they made, when they get caught in their own lies? That poetic justice, according to Psalm 9, is God's calling card. It's God's signature form of justice. Because it says in verse 16, the Lord is known by the judgment which he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. When that happens, when they suffer that, the only one they can blame is themselves because no one did it to them. They did it to themselves. You see, now, if someone retaliated against them, then it would be like the cycle with the Hatfields and the Corys. It'd go back and forth and back and forth and get worse and worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And it escalates typically. Right, well. exactly. Exactly. But if they fall in the trap that they made, if they fall in the pit that they dug, it's their own darn fault. And they can't blame anyone. It doesn't escalate. You see? And whenever you see that, that you can say, yep, God did that. How do we turn on the switch for something like that to happen? You see, there's promises in the word that we teach people. We teach them, if you do this, then that will happen, right? There's a whole lot of things like that. If you believe this, then you'll get that result, see? Well, it's true with this too. If you obey what the word says here, then God will go into work for you to make that happen to them. There's a spiritual battle going on in the dimensions beyond what we are in with the five senses. They, it's raging all the time between the adversary and angels. They're fighting all the time. So when you believe God, they go to work for you behind the scenes and they work stuff. Okay, that's how that happens. They open doors and they shut doors. The, 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 the picture of it is like with Balaam in Numbers 22, where he was going down the wrong road and the angel was blocking his way. That's what happens. They, they shut doors and they open doors. That happens behind the scenes. So do you want to turn on that switch? Do you want that to happen? Well, then do what the word says. Forgive them. Don't be vengeant. And when you obey that, that 
flips the switch, see? And you could be confident that God will work on your behalf. So that's why you don't need to avenge yourself. If you do, not only will you mess it up, <laughs> but also you'll become the abuser that you despise. Isn't that amazing? See, the, the way the world teaches is totally opposite. The way the movies teach and all that, they say that revenge is best served cold, right? Well, you know what? The greatest revenge is living well. That's the greatest revenge. Now, of course, sometimes we can't live as if it never happened because sometimes the injury is so bad. But you have to understand that e eternity is a long time. And God will make it good for you in eternity. And so that's how it works. And you, we just have to have faith in that respect. Yeah. I think if we presuppose atheism, this is not a, a system that's going to work. And I only say that because so often when we think to ourselves, we imagine a world in which there isn't God and there aren't angels and there there isn't a spiritual realm. And, uh, you know, that's probably just cultural conditioning. It doesn't make sense to base serious decisions like whether or not to forgive someone, whether or not to let something go that was done to you years ago on a worldview that you don't even hold. Because if you yeah. are a Christian, you should believe that there is a God, that God is involved in the world and doing things, and that there are spiritual forces at work, and that there is this phenomenon. You, you, you mentioned it a number of times where you fall in the pit you dug. Yes. And that reminds me of the Psalms. There's a lot of Psalms where the psalmist is talking about his enemies and uh, essentially praying that prayer. We might call it an imprecatory prayer, but mm -hmm. it certainly is a phenomenon well expected in the Old yes. Testament. Uh, I think so. it's like 10 times in the Psalms that yeah, it has that. Yeah, quite a few that. times. So this is, this is something that can happen. Mm -hmm. Call it poetic justice, call it whatever you want, but mm -hmm. it's not our responsibility is what I hear you saying. Right. To See, make it happen. Our responsibility is to do what God wants us to do, to do your calling. When you do your calling, there is nothing greater in the whole world. That's your joy. So when you find out what that is and do it, then God heals you because he's already working in your life. If you're a prophet, you know, God's telling you what to say to encourage God's people. Well, that spiritual energization that's happening in you has a bleed over effect. <laughs> it will help you in your other situations, see, because he's already working in you for that. Paul was talking about that in Philippians chapter one. But anyway, the way this all works is if we looked at things from a truly spiritual perspective and saw the consequences, it would be a no-brainer to do what the word says. Yeah, I think a lot a lot of folks are holding a grudge mm -hmm. and they're thinking, I can't let go of this because it would be wrong. So I'm gonna hold on to this. And I'm going to be better 
or more protected because I have I'm 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 maintaining this bitterness. Right. But it doesn't help you in life, right? No, it does not. See, that's why you have to give it to God and get healed. See, it's like a splinter in your mind. <laughs> and you have to take the splinter out. Otherwise, it'll get infected. It'll get worse. And God will reward you for doing the right thing. Those blessings are real. And would you say that you've experienced this? Oh, sure. Like with your story that you shared last time, you were pretty young. And, you know, is this something that you more or less dealt with, like in your 20s, or that you waited later to face? Or is this something that you do on a daily basis? Or where, maybe well, get a little personal, explain how it was see, for you. I became a Christian in sixth grade, but I was not a knowledgeable Christian at all until I started going to Bible fellowships when I was 21. And but before I went to those Bible fellowships, I still was full of rage. I was angry. I was going to do Breaking Bad. <laughs> okay, I was an organic chemist, and I was going to make drugs. I, had, I was planning on doing it, and uh, I could have been public enemy number one. But I got involved in the Bible fellowship, and they loved me. And they gave me genuine Christian love that I had never experienced in my whole life. And it changed me. I shed that anger, see. And I learned how to renew my mind and to deal with it. It took a while. It's not something that you have to work at it, okay? But if you work at it and do what the word says, then you get the results. And the results are that I stopped being so sullen and depressed and angry. My real personality came out. I developed an ability to relate to people and talk to people and encourage people. And then, of course, another reward that I received is, this is funny, when I went to that fellowship, and I, I crashed a, what I thought was a party, and it was a fellowship. And I got up to the top of the stairs, and the woman prophesied to me and told me that God would do three things for me. One of the things that she told me is that I would have, quote-unquote, a far-out mate, that I would have a wife. And just to be clear... Far out is like 70s lingo for really good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, that, that's exactly what she said. Far out me. And I married the most wonderful woman, the most beautiful woman. And she's just tremendous. And that's like a reward, I feel, for doing the right thing. Yeah. And this is not something you carry decade after decade. You, you were able to get through it, and close the book on it? I carried it until my sophomore year in, high, in college. Then after this change happened, then I was able to begin to shed it. It took about five years to do the process, but um, it works. If we saw things in terms of eternity, 
it would like, like I said, it would be a no-brainer. That's why Jesus said, he said it in Matthew chapter 5, right after that section where he said that they were taking their gift to the altar. He said, leave your gift to the altar and reconcile with your brother. And then he goes on to say that if you're going to the magistrate, settle the deal on the way to the magistrate before he delivers you to the jailer and all that stuff. Because you see, he was trying to illustrate the seriousness of this in terms of eternity. If you obey God, the rewards go on forever. And if you improve your plight, one small amount measured over eternity is huge. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is praying for them that despitefully use you. Like we said last time, I tried every which way to try to interpret that as praying against them. <laughs> okay? I got out my Greek book. I looked at this and I looked at that. <laughs> I tried every which way to try to see if that could be meant that way. And it, it can't. You have to pray for them. We would think that it would be like praying curses against them. Well, that's not a tool in our toolbox. Witches pray curses. We're not witches, okay? It's not a manifestation of the spirit. To pray that way would, would just build the evil again, see? So we have to pray for them. Now, the ideal situation is like what happened to Paul, all right? Paul murdered Christians, and then he was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appeared to him. That's the kind of prayer that we pray for those people. Because you see, if you pray that way, then angels are going to go to work for you and work on them. Like it said, when, when Jesus told Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the cattle prod. And Paul said, yeah. That's what's been happening to me. Because if you do everything right, that's what they do. See, that's what gets energized. So again, there's hope. See, it's not like you have to grip your teeth and pray for them. No, you're praying for them, for them to genuinely turn around. When it comes to eternity, you wouldn't want someone to be in oblivion for eternity, would you? Wouldn't you want someone to experience the joys of God and living forever? I mean, you wouldn't wish the other stuff on anyone, would you? So if you have a genuine heart, when you pray that way, it helps heal you. See, it helps heal you so that you are not bitter, so that you're not angry all the time so that you have genuine emotions. What you put in your mind is what you get out. Garbage in, garbage out, good stuff in, good stuff out. So the whole package is how to be genuine. Because otherwise, if you let those brain chemicals work for you and make you think the negatives, then you're just gonna build that stuff more and more. But if you turn it around, that's how it works. And God rewards you. That's how the whole thing works. 
And so that's what I learned about how everything works. You have to forgive, don't be vengeant, and then genuinely pray for your abuser. That's what Job did. When was Job healed? When he prayed for his friend. See? And this was a genuine prayer. Wow. You may never see the vengeance of God happen to them. You may have left them in your dust and moved on. Okay? You may get to see it. If you do, that's a blessing. <laughs> but if you don't get to see it, you can rest assured that they will be judged. So just move on and do what God has called you to do. Sublimate those negative feelings into excellence and win the game. So that's my message. That's what I learned. And that's what turned my life around. And I think that it can do the same for many, many others if they apply these principles. And we can avoid some of these big blowups that are happening lately. The people get so angry, they feel they're trapped. They feel there's no way out. And then they explode with vengeance, like the movies say. That's such a trick. I just, I wouldn't recommend that on anyone. So that, that's how you defeat evil with good. So that's my message. Very good. It reminds me of the last verse in Romans 12. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Many of us, if we got really honest, many of us Christians, if we got really honest, we'd say we don't believe that verse. Yeah. And yet, it's true. Yeah. And that is the plan of God. And that is what he's going to do with or without you. So might as well get on board. You know, right. Even as, as risky as that sounds, to not well, hold see, evil. The mechanism works. It's cause and effect. Just like all the other promises of God. It's cause and effect. And so if you do A, then B will happen. And so it's just that simple. Even though it may seem to be hard, it takes the same amount of effort to do the right thing as it does to do the wrong thing. It's the same amount of effort. All you have to do is change the momentum, see? And then it'll become just as easy to do the right thing as it would have been to do the wrong thing. Well, thanks for sharing that. All right. Well, I love you. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, that brings this episode to a close. What'd you think? Come on over to restitudio.org and find episode 512 and leave your feedback there. On our last episode about bullying, uh, a couple of people commented in. One was Taby Servant, who said, good work. I appreciate the wisdom. Another was Jeremy, who said, thank you for sharing this. There is much that resonates. I hope that it can help the too many who suffer alone. So this has been a little bit of a kind of an excursus into the subject of bullying and victimization. It's not really what we major on here at Restitutio, but it is very much a part of the fallen world in which we live. And let's face it, if you're going to live out authentic Christianity and you've got bitterness and hatred in your heart, it sure would be optimal. Can we at least agree on this? It sure would be optimal to find freedom from that and to find healing. And I believe that God does heal people today. 
This is not just something we read about in the Bible, but it is also available today. So I'm delighted that we were able to discuss this topic and bring it out. Uh, I do ask once again that if you do know someone who is suffering from bullying or who has suffered abuse and is stuck and bitter and, or considering revenge, uh, that you send them these episodes so that they can see another way, see another option for how to deal with the pain. It is interesting that Nestle shared that really the best revenge, if we can put it that way, you can get is living well. I thought that was so powerful. What did you think about that? Showing the world or showing the bully or showing whoever that uh, with God you can overcome and you can have a good life and that uh, they don't have power over you anymore. It's pretty powerful. On to another subject. We've got two major events coming up, uh, depending on where you live and when you're listening to this. Uh, This recording is going out in September of 2023, and we have a September event happening next weekend here in New York. If you are able to come into town, we've got over 170 people signed up already for our Kingdom Fest. It's a big weekend at the end of the summer, kicking off the fall, back to school, uh, a new year and, and whatnot, to just encourage you. Our theme is Shalom. We've got Victor Gluckin, the famous preacher from Rhode Island. We've got Jake Ballard of Indiana, my dad, Vince Finnegan, uh, John McCabe coming in from Long Island. We've rented a big tent. We're going to cover all the food. We've got some great musicians coming in from our sister church in Rhode Island, uh, just bringing some exciting worship Uh, to really just encourage you. Our theme is Shalom, and we're looking at not only the concept of peace in the sense of the absence of conflict, but we're also looking at the idea of wholeness, completeness, and what God wants for each one of us, and to what degree can we live out that Shalom today in anticipation of the ultimate Shalom coming in the kingdom of God. So uh, those of you who are coming, uh, I look forward to seeing you. If you can't make it, we'll be live streaming it on the Living Hope YouTube channel. That's LHIM video if you want to check that out. Who knows if any of this will appear on Restitudio in the future. Maybe, maybe not. It depends. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Also, another event coming up in October, October 19th to the 21st, is the Unitarian Christian Alliance held in Springfield, Ohio, uh, just outside of Dayton, actually kind of between Dayton and Columbus, Ohio. So that will be a great time to get together, and roughly half the sessions are going to be scholarly presentations of peer-reviewed papers, and then the other half, more or less, are going to be more practical workshops, and we run these sessions simultaneously so that uh, whatever fits for you will work, uh, and we do have some like exciting evening programming Uh, The first night kind of catching people up on the broader movement and what we've been able to do over the last year. And then the last night being a variety night. And Mark Cain did just such an amazing job with that last year. Uh, Speakers on the academic side are Will Barlow, who's going to ask the question, uh, should we pray to Jesus? Nathan Massey is going to present cutting-edge scholarship on Ignatius of Antioch and the issue of the Middle Recension, something I have genuinely puzzled over for, oh boy, maybe even over a decade now. It's crazy, but like we both ended up buying the same book by the same scholar and had decided to do the same presentation for this year. 
And I caught wind of it, and I called him up, and he was just way ahead of me. Uh, Nathan Massey, if you don't know him, is the associate pastor at Oregon Church of God in Illinois. And so this is going to be his debut presentation at the UCA conference. So excited for him. And uh, so I ended up doing a different topic, and he's going to just nail this Ignatius subject. Uh, Dustin Smith is covering wisdom Christology. Sam Tiedemann is going to offer a third way between reading John 1 as a reference, the prologue of John 1, as a reference to Genesis creation or the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. He's going to uh, attempt a synthesis of those views and offer a third way forward. And Dale Tuggy is talking about the issue of salvation. Uh, does believing in the Trinity exclude you from salvation? Or if you're a Trinitarian, does not believing in the Trinity exclude you from salvation? And he's going to argue for inclusivism. Jerry Weirwell is going to be speaking on the Granville Sharp Rule, which uh, applies to Titus 2.13, 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. This is a particular Greek construction that modern translations typically will render in a way that says Jesus is God, and uh, Unitarian translations and older translations went with a different reading where it seems like it says God and Jesus. So that'll be interesting. And then my presentation, I'll probably talk more about this in a future episode or at the the tail end here where I like to ramble on. But my presentation is about understanding the deity of Christ from a Greco-Roman perspective and looking at that phrase, Jesus is God, and asking the question, especially when it comes to the second century and the third century, but mostly in the second century, asking the question, what in the world would a Christian mean by saying the phrase Jesus is God in the second century in the Roman Empire? What would that mean? What, like, what options would go along with that? And essentially, I argue that anyone outside of Judaism, hearing the story of Jesus and the belief that an immortalized man now lives in heaven and is the head of a church, is Lord over the church, would just immediately say, oh, so he's a lowercase g God. Not that they distinguish between lowercase g and uppercase g like we do, but like they would just, they would just immediately conclude, oh, so you're saying he's a God because they had lots of parallels to think with. And I don't think that threatens Unitarianism. Uh, So you have to come to my presentation if you want to hear more about that. And then eventually that will be released. If you can't make it, none of these are available for live stream. Uh, But they are slow released after the video processing and production and so forth is, is completed. They are slow released on the Unitarian Christian Alliance YouTube channel. And uh, probably I will release the audio version on this podcast, who knows, six months from now. Uh, Hard to say when. Depends on scheduling and what I'm in the middle of. Uh, Last thing just to cover is that I did succeed in interviewing Craig Blomberg. First of all, this guy is just delightful. What a wonderful scholar. Really served the church for decades. Really has done some great work in defending the Bible against some criticisms. Uh, A lot of his work has actually been apologetic in that regard, but he's not an apologist, really. He's a genuine New Testament scholar. So he's got an eye on this whole quest for the historical Jesus movement that has been trucking along, really, for over, what, a century now. And he has some thoughts on that, and he's written a book, and so I got to interview him on that. That will be out next week. 
So stay tuned for an interview that is super historical and a little, I'm just going to be honest, a little nerdy compared to today. Uh, today's a little more practical. And uh, we'll see that next week. Thanks for all of you who are supporting us. If you'd like to join in on that, you can do that at restitutio.org. We've got a donate button there. And, uh, and I'll catch you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.